All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. It is Wednesday, July 6th. I'm Mosh Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast back from a uh, slightly long holiday weekend. Jill, how are you feeling this morning? Hi, Mosh. Uh, I am feeling better than our last podcast, which honestly, I do not know how I got through. But um, I'm about 11 days into COVID, and it's still lingering. I am not 100%. Yeah, and and of course... um, we know you're due very soon, so you're juggling a you're juggling a bunch of things. Is is it a game of is this COVID or is this just my ninth month of pregnancy? It is. It's like the afternoon nap. I'm like, hmm, is this a tired from COVID nap or is this tired because I have a fully grown baby in my belly? So either way, I'm tired <laughs> and, I, and wishing, I don't feel great. Wishing you. Uh, it it's good to hear you're over the hump. It sounds like on, <laughs> yes. on COVID. Yeah. Okay, Moshe, let's get to the news. Here is what we are following today. What we know about that horrific mass shooting at a July 4th parade in Highland Park, including new details about how the alleged shooter carried out the attack on the politics beat is Trump versus Biden 2024, the matchup that absolutely no one actually wants. And a Florida county is quarantined, not related to COVID. Yeah, we, we, we see the quarantine word and it concerns us, but uh, this is another one of our deep teases, Jill. We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. All right, let's start with that Highland Park July 4th parade massacre. We are learning more about some of the seven people who were killed in that attack and also about uh, the person who is now in custody. Law enforcement says that the suspect, 21-year-old Robert Cremo III, had been planning the attack for weeks He went to a roof along the parade route and opened fire, killing seven people and injuring at least three dozen others. Police say he fired more than 70 rounds into the crowd with a high-powered rifle, similar to an AR-15. Actually, law enforcement didn't know the exact type of gun. So they do say he purchased it legally from a store in Illinois. They say he shot into the crowd and it appeared to be totally random and also that he was acting alone. Police say he was dressed as a woman the day of the parade, in part to hide his weapons, hide his distinctive face tattoos, and perhaps he was even wearing a wig. And then he fled with everybody else during the ensuing chaos. He went to his mom's house, took her car, and about eight hours later, someone spotted that car, called police. Police were able to apprehend him, and uh, another rifle was actually found inside of the car. 
Yeah, we're learning a, a, a lot in these first 24 hours uh, about the tragedy. That includes also this from law enforcement because they're trying to trace back, did we interact with this guy before? What could we have known? And they say, at least as of um, you know 24 hours out, they've had two previous interactions with him. One dates back to April 2019 when someone contacted the local police department in Highland Park. A week after learning, he had attempted to commit suicide. They went to his home with mental health professionals. The family said they were dealing with it. There was a second interaction in September of 2019. So about two and a half years ago, a family member reported to the police and he said he was going to, quote, kill everyone. The police removed 16 knives. They came over. They removed a dagger, a sword. Um, This is according, again, to law enforcement. Uh, But at that time, they saw no probable cause to arrest him because there were no complaints that were signed by any of the potential victims, as in the family. And so that's what we know about those two interactions. Clearly um, a history here when it comes to the suspect. But let's get back to the victims of the attack here. Uh, Jill, we're starting, as you said, to hear some names of some of the uh, people who were uh, murdered uh, on July 4th there. That includes um, Irina and Kevin McCarthy, uh, two young parents who, unfortunately, this is beyond belief, beyond tragedy. Uh, they leave a two-year-old behind who is now going to uh, be raised by his grandparents. Yeah, Moshe, it is. It's so horrific. And, and we are learning more about several of the victims. In fact, the death toll, unfortunately, continues to climb. Police now say seven people were killed, um, at least 30 people taken to the hospitals. The injured victims range in age from about eight years old to 85 years old. Um, 76-year-old Nicholas Toledo among those killed. His granddaughter confirmed to USA Today. She described him as a great person with an enormous heart, the best grandfather, loving, attentive. A different one of his granddaughters told the Chicago Sun-Times that he wasn't even sure he wanted to go to the parade, but his family brought him to watch in his wheelchair. Another victim, 63-year-old Jackie Sundheim, identified by her synagogue. She was a lifelong member, a preschool teacher, an events coordinator. Um, Highland Park, we should note, is a very Jewish area. A reporter asked law enforcement if there's any thinking that potentially this was a hate crime motivated by anti-Jewish sentiment, if that's perhaps why this shooter picked the area. At this point, law enforcement, they do not believe so. Although the director of security for the local Chabad said that at some point um, this gunman entered the Chabad on the last day of Passover and seemed to be, quote, sizing up the synagogue. That is from the forward. Um, Moshe, you and I unfortunately have covered too many of these mass shootings, but I know this one hits particularly close to home for you. Literally, you grew up in this area. Yeah, unfortunately, I've had to, you know, cover dozens and dozens of these tragedies. And, you know, whether it's Uvalde, Texas, or Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, or the Charleston Church shooting, or the club in Orlando. And anyway, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but but when I saw yesterday the headline that it was coming from Highland Park, Illinois, it was one of those news stories where immediately I was calling friends and family. I grew up on the North Shore of Chicago. My grandparents lived in Highland Park. My parents' business was in Highland Park. Um, I'm very familiar with the street. I grew up on this street where the parade takes place. It's an annual tradition. The kids march in the parade. Uh, my best friend from growing up was at the parade yesterday with his family, with his children, and uh, called them. Thankfully, they were a block away, but they had to run when they heard the gunshots. And so it's one of those things, and you know, it's a cliche. Well, it can happen anywhere. And for me, at least, this weekend, it happened in a, a place I am 
um, very familiar with. And when I saw the images of those streets, um, it struck me and it was, it was, it was a real challenge to try to cover this, um, and, uh, try to watch what was going on because, you know, you're at the same time worried about your neighbors and your friends and your family. And, um, it just goes to show you that at this juncture, you know, whether it's church, uh, the grocery store, uh, movie theaters, uh, schools, and now July 4th parades of all places, um, you continue to get this feeling that, you know, that there's no place that feels 100% safe anymore. Um, unfortunately, that was very well said. I can't believe your friends were a block away. Jill, they were on the parade route. And you know how arbitrary these things are on the parade route, right? Like you go and you find a, a space for you and your family to sit and watch a parade. And to know that that was a life or death decision in retrospect. And that, it, it just was heartbreaking because you're like, I, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, knowing there's not much I can do for you, right? When I'm, I'm far away and that, you know, um, they were uh, taking care of, of their kids just coming away from, from that parade route. And at the same time, given that they hadn't tracked down the suspect, the shooter yet, and they had this manhunt going on, you know, just a few miles away, my dad, um, was home a few miles from there. My, my mom was taking care of, uh, you know, one of her grandkids and I'm calling them being like, you know, stay indoors. They don't know where this guy is. And that's how much that story really hit home for me yesterday as I'm trying to track this whole thing. And at the same time, like trying to ensure that my loved ones are, are safe in what is an ev- a quickly evolving breaking news story. Right. And then police are saying that he's armed and dangerous. I mean, it's, it's frightening. Totally. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go out to the grocery store. I'm going to, you know, and given all these shootings we've seen recently, whether it's a grocery store, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's, you know, can you just stay home for a bit with the door closed? Because who knows how, you know, like they believed it was one person. He left a gun at the scene, but does he have extra guns? Well, it turns out he did have another gun in his car um, and what that could mean. And so on your July 4th holiday, please stay indoors uh, and wait for, wait to see what happens. Cause it took, I think just over eight hours for them to uh, track him down. And by the way, for those who aren't familiar, like Highland Park is the scene for the John Hughes movies of the 80s, the um, Pretty in Pink, uh, Breakfast Club takes place on the North Shore, Home Alone takes place in Highland Park, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, there's a lot of movies um, that they, they use Highland Park as the backdrop because it's this idyllic place. And we are still hearing most from a lot of people at the parade, some spectators along the route originally thought the gunshots were maybe fireworks or, or part of some display. Once they realized though what was happening, some hidden local stores for hours in some cases, one father describes putting his son in a dumpster to keep him safe. And just think about all of these kids on the parade route, the high school marching band, as you mentioned, hearing those bullets and then literally running for their lives, which is such a cliche, but they, they, that's what they were doing. And we in the media, you know, we're so quick to point out death tolls or the number of people injured, but there are so many other victims here who are going to be living with untold trauma. And it's not just in this case, right? You've got Uvalde, Texas, as you were mentioning, concerts, grocery stores. There is a generation of kids who are growing up with the trauma of gun violence and mass shootings. And, you know, I'm not trying to get political here, but there are a lot of politicians. They don't want to talk about gun legislation and they only want to focus on mental health. But how about the mental health of this generation of kids? It's just not okay. No. And by the way, you can see in some of those videos that were released on social media that some of the kids were reacting quicker than the adults, you know, because many kids these days and 
Jill, we're not that old, but we didn't grow up like this in the 80s and 90s, um, having, you know, shooter drills and that sort of thing. But these kids are. So some of them, it appears based on the social media videos, were aware of what was going on and they knew what to do. And you see kind of the adults following their lead in some instances. I do want to take a step back here, Jill, and, and put the shooting into context because we're sort of at the midway point of the year. Uh, this is the 309th mass shooting of 2022, 309. There's been 185 days. Um, so if you look at that, uh, just based on the numbers, the U.S. is averaging about 11 mass shootings a week this year. Uh, by the way, mass shootings are defined as incidents where four or more people are shot. Uh, there were 692 of these in 2021. That was a record. The 610 the year before that, 417 the year before that. So we continue to see this um, increase in these types of incidents. And, um, you know, it, it unfortunately, all these start to meld together. Even as I start trying to pull together numbers for this, Jill, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. And I forgot about that one. And it just, you start to become desensitized to it, which is unfortunate. And we should note Congress, of course, just passed the most significant gun legislation in 30 years. So, you know, I was trying to figure out was is anything in this gun legislation would have prevented what happened? Well, listen, I, you know, Illinois, is, uh, people are quick to point out, does have one of the stricter set of gun laws in the country. Um, it's probably up there in the top eight with New York, Jersey, California, et cetera, in terms of its gun laws. Going back to them confiscating those knives from him when he threatened to kill his family in 2019, he subsequently bought it appears, at least five guns legally. And authorities were asked whether red flag laws, which exist in Illinois, could have stopped him. They're looking into it. One thing to keep in mind when it comes to red flag laws is they're not often used. Like people need to be more aware of that ability. And often it'll fall on friends and family who, if they see someone, a loved one, someone they know, who is threatening the lives or could pose harm, that is when they can bring red flag laws into effect, call the authorities to confiscate the weapons, that appears not to have been done here. So there's more questions to be asked on whether the existing laws were just not followed or additional laws need to be put into place as far as background checks, because you had somebody who threatened to kill his whole family with knives, who subsequently legally was able to buy guns just after that. Now let's get, of course, to the new legislation, which Biden literally just signed a couple of weeks ago uh, and talk about what's in that. Provides $750 million for uh, red flag laws in states that don't have them. 300 million for mental health uh, kids and school safety. Notably, and this is where it could have been relevant here, though I would need to di dive deeper into Illinois' laws, is that for purchases going forward, juvenile records, including those regarding mental health, would be for the first time required in criminal background checks for buyers. So I'm looking for an expert who can explain whether that provision in the law, the juvie records, basically allowing gun sellers to be able to access those records before the age of 18 might have played a role here. Right. And the proposal did fall far short of legislation that had passed the House that would have banned anyone under the age of 21 from buying a semi-automatic weapon. And interestingly, there was some unexpected support for that in the Senate from Mitch McConnell. Yeah, this has been a huge thing for a few years now is people looking at the ages of mass shooters uh, and shooters regardless, you know, all firearms deaths in the country. And what they're finding is that in particular, and this is mostly men under uh, the age of 21, um, make up a, a good portion 
of uh, gun incidents in the country. In fact, if you look at six of the nine deadliest mass shootings in the U.S. since 2018, they were all done by men 21 years or younger. That's the Uvalde school shooting, the Buffalo grocery store, uh, the El Paso Walmart, the Santa Fe school shooting, the Boulder supermarket, the Parkland school shooting. A recent analysis by the Washington Post looking just at school shootings found that two-thirds of school shootings, nearly 200, were done by shooters under the age of 18. Um, and then when it comes to overall mass shootings, nearly a third are done by men under 25. So a lot of people like to point out here who are calling for more legislation, including some supported by some Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, but not enough to get passed. Um, rental cars. You need to be 25 to rent a car in this country, but you only need to be 18 to buy a semi-automatic weapon. And one thing they will point to is they'll talk to medical experts who talk about during adolescence and young adulthood for men, in particular, there are issues with impulsive behavior and emotional sensitivity versus the part of the brain that regulates acting out on those impulses. And men tend typically to have an even higher, faster peak in that arousal of impulsive behavior, while women see a higher peak in regulation at an earlier age. And so they, are, they have been trying to argue, and this failed in a court in California, actually, where they tried to raise the age. I think it was two to one uh, Republican judge uh, ruled against this, but they're trying to point to medical evidence saying there's literally science says why you should ban certain weapons from men under a certain age. Okay, Moshe, let's switch gears and, and talk a little politics. Some new numbers show that a Trump-Biden matchup in 2024 could be the rematch that no one really wants. In a Harvard <laughs> poll, six in 10 Americans say they don't want Trump to run in 2024. But seven in 10 say they don't want Biden to run. It sounds like both of these men have not gotten the memo, though. Um, I'm sure they're seeing the headlines, but no, they don't want to. It's Maybe they've gotten the memo, Jill, but they haven't accepted the memo or they don't approve of the memo coming their way. So there were a bunch of stories that came out over the weekend um, in a variety of publications. I'll begin with the Trump one. So this is the New York Times report. Maggie Haberman, who's very well sourced inside his circle, reports that AIDS belief he could announce a run as soon as this summer for president. Um, CBS reports he hasn't made a final decision. My favorite part in one of the reports is that some of the aides are worried they're going to find out via Twitter or I guess via Truth Social that he's running, which, by the way, is something that did happen in the Trump White House where people didn't know something was going on until they saw it on Twitter. And they're like, oh, I guess we're doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> for context, it it might seem early to announce because it is early, Jill, even though we have incredibly long elections in this country. Typically, candidates don't announce until the previous midterm election. So that's this November um, and then thereafter. So typically, you announce the earliest, like this December. But typically, you would announce in the first half of 2023 to give yourself kind of a year head start ahead of primaries. Um, remember, Trump originally announced in June of 2015, so a year, you know, basically the summer before, not two summers before. Part of this, they believe, is fueled by his anger towards the January 6th committee. Part of this is fueled by the fact that he sees people like Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, already uh, getting close to him in the polls. And he's worried about that and feels that he needs to go and announce he's there to clear the field for himself. Speaking of which, DeSantis is considered the front runner if Trump decides not to run again. And there are some new polls that show him competitive uh, and or already beating Trump in head to head matchups. Former VP Mike Pence and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, also among those who are thought to potentially challenge Trump. Now, as for President Biden, he insists that he is running for reelection in 2024. I love how I, I say that as if like we don't believe him. Um, 
<laughs> well, I mean, listen, there are senior people in the party who are like, come on, man, hang it up. Um, his approval rating is at a new low. 58% of Americans say that they disapprove of the job that he's doing. So, Mosh, if Biden decides that he's not going to run again, who are some of the people that you're watching? Well, let's just level set this. So Biden's 79. He turns 80 this November. He'd be 82 on Election Day in two years. He'd be 86 by the end of his second term. Um, this is not something, you know, like Biden's been waiting his whole life to be president. He finally became president. He was, you know, you could argue um, he sort of had this rare ability and appeal, centrist appeal to be able to beat Trump. And people in the party are thankful, like, thank you for beating Trump. But like, can you leave now? And this is not something presidents do willingly often. Like if you think in modern times, we've had a, n- a number of one-term presidents, but the ones who leave on their own are like Lyndon Johnson, like height of Vietnam. Like, you know, the parties, the country's being torn apart. You need to get out, sir. Um, Harry Truman, he effectively got to serve seven years. He had another chance in 52, but his polls were really low. They didn't convince him. And I could keep going back in history, but like it really is a rare set of cir- circumstances that gets someone not to run. But put that aside for a second. Somehow Biden surprises the world and says, guys, you know what? For the best you know, of the country, I'm going to get out. And by the way, many people don't believe he'll do that, especially if Trump's running, because he thinks of himself as the guy who can beat Trump. So the people that are talked about, obviously, Vice President Kamala Harris would be in sort of a, a leading seat. And if she had a more popular rating in the party, you would assume they would clear the field for her. But you can expect that there will be some sort of race, again, if he decides not to run. Pete Buttigieg would want to try again. He's transportation secretary right now. He ran, obviously, in 2020. And then you have a bunch of governors. You have Whitmer in Michigan, Pritzker in Illinois, uh, Murphy in New Jersey, and uh, Gavin Newsom in California, who it appears is already thinking he's running for president. He's running ads against DeSantis in Florida to mess with DeSantis uh, starting last week. Okay, so what is that about? <laughs> I, I, I mean, does that feel like a waste of money? I don't I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll ask our California listeners um, how they feel about their governor spending time and attention on what's going on in Florida. You know, listen, there's been a competition the last couple of years between California and Texas. They go at it. In this case, Newsom knows to kind of poke the bear. It'll help his rating with... Um, you know, poke, poke DeSantis in Florida. I, it's just, you know, it's just politics. And it's that, I think, in Newsom's case, trying to raise his national profile. Um, I know you also like this story from The Atlantic. Is Biden a man out of time? That Basically, younger <laughs> voters want him louder, more aggressive, but that's not really his style. No, I mean, that's the thing about all of this is um, there's a lot of these stories. They're coming out of The Atlantic, which, you know, is, is writing several pieces um, every couple of weeks now about Biden is it time? Is it time? Are you sure it's time? There's a Leibovich piece, Mark Leibovich piece a couple of weeks ago. There was this piece uh, last week. Listen, Biden's like, you know, a man from a different era. And he's like, I'm going to bring back that era. And everyone's like, no, unfortunately, that era is gone. And it was nice. And you guys worked together and you were pretty moderate. Remember, like Biden, like Biden was against Roe v. Wade in the 70s. He thought like he was a pro-lifer. Like he, as relate as recently, like voted for the ban late-term abortions. Like he voted for the crime bill in the 90s. Um, he just he exists from this different era. He kind of leans back and he's not super aggressive. And people, especially on the left, who are the primary voters um, and who are especially angry about things like Roe v. Wade and um, uh, a whole bunch of things that are going on, are like, we need you to care. Like we need you to be louder and care more. And right now, this president isn't a great communicator. Um, and I think even people on the left will admit that. People on the right will certainly tell you that. And that's an issue in an era where we're 
Um, you could have a lot of criticisms for previous presidents, but whether it was Bill Clinton, whether it was Barack Obama, and especially that last president, Donald Trump, they communicated frequently, 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 and constantly told you what they were doing, what they were thinking. And you don't get that from this president. And I think that's where people are starting to feel like maybe it's time for you to go. One of the big reasons that he's not so popular right now is, of course, the economy and sky high inflation. So just switching gears later this week, we're going to be getting the government jobs report. There are expectations that job growth slowed down, but is still relatively strong. It's considered one of the few bright spots in the economy right now. And then, of course, there's the R word, recession. By definition, that's two quarters of negative GDP, which would mean the U.S. is in a recession. GDP declined in the first quarter of 2022. It's looking like it will probably drop in the second quarter as well. So this is going to get prepared, folks, for are we or aren't we? Um, And that (laughs) will begin uh, last week of July with that second quarter GDP report. GDP, of course, is uh, basically whether the country's economy is growing. Now, I was digging into this because I know this is going to be an issue because people are going to be like, well, by whose definition are you going with? So while technically you are right, uh, that is the definition, two straight quarters, there actually is an official call, an official designation of recession that comes from an organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER. This is a private, nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization founded in 1920, um, and it is dedicated to understanding. Sorry, I know <laughs> it is dedicated to understanding how the economy works. And they have 600 professors and researchers who pour over data, and they will officially declare for us, Jill, what a recession is. So while we might see that number at the end of July, a lot of people on Wall Street will tell you we're basically in a recession, folks. Um, we will wait for the official designation by the NBER at some point. And by the way, remember, the GDP numbers get revised every month. So like, are we or not we? Well, you'll get a revision in August, and now we're not again. But then in September, we are again. Either way, uh, the big issue here is the Fed is trying to figure out what to do about inflation, and they're trying to slow down the economy. And when they slow down the economy, you have a pretty good chance of going into recession. And by the way, how do we get out of a recession? Well, you have a couple ways. You can write people checks. We did that during COVID and we have a problem. Or you could lower interest rates, which is not happening either. So the two key tools to quickly get us out of a recession, we've done, we've sort of abused those things, and we won't have them at our disposal should we actually be in a recession this back half of the year. I mean, listen, in terms of just voter sentiment and the mood of the country, when gas is five bucks a gallon and you go to the supermarket and you buy milk, eggs, and a few apples and it's like 50 bucks... It just doesn't make you feel good. No, not at all. I will tell you this. One upside to a recession, if I can call it that, gas prices are coming down because demand is coming down. So less economic demand. I mean, guys, it's all levers. It's all cause and effect. It's all cause and effect. So it's like, this is up, this is down. This is up. When this goes up, that goes down. So in this case, gas prices goes down, but it also means we're in a recession. And like the prices will start to go down a little bit in other things. But you know, at the same time, people will be losing their jobs and etc. So you have a whole bunch of um, dominoes that fall, depending on the level and significance and, and how bad a recession could get. And look, people are watching their 401ks, and it's not pretty. Uh, the stock market has not been great. Crypto, if, for anyone who is invested in crypto, also has not been pretty. And I know you did an interview about that recently, right, Mosh? Yeah, so it's in the Mo News newsletter, um, and it is with a guy named Zach Guzman, who writes a, a newsletter called, a separate newsletter called Crypto Uncomplicated. And we talked at length about this. It'll be in an upcoming podcast episode, but you can go check it out in the newsletter today. 
uh, and we got into uh, depth on who will survive and who won't. You know, crypto exploded over the last couple of years, and we were sort of talking about how to compare this to previous cycles. Significantly, the 2000 internet bubble collapse, where you saw a bunch of websites go, but obviously the internet survived and certain companies survived, right? And whether crypto will be like that, where we'll see a lot of these crypto projects go away and some will survive, or will it be worse than that? And there are people who've been questioning crypto all along. It got institutional buy-in. Anyway, I won't give it all away, but it's a fascinating discussion if you're into kind of what happens next in the crypto world. Okay, time for our speed read. From the AP, Griner sends letter to President Biden pleading for his help. Brittany Griner has made an appeal to President Biden in a letter passed to the White House through her representatives, saying that she feared she might never return home and asking that he not, quote, forget about me and the other detainees. Most of the letter's contents to President Biden are still private, although Griner's reps shared a few lines from the handwritten notes. Uh, she, of course, is being held in Russia right now. She's a player for the WNBA. Yeah, and she was playing for the Russian League, where they um, make often a lot of players go to make extra money. This shows this is a shift here, Jill. Um, her trial resumes on Thursday. Uh, Griner's wife was on CBS um, morning show this week saying they hadn't heard from Biden. And the idea for a while was to stay low key. And that was the sense we were getting in the reporting is that the White House was telling Griner and all of her folks and the WNBA and all the players, like, stay quiet. Don't give Putin too much leverage. Let's not make a big deal out of this. Well, it's now been several months. Uh, this goes back to February, and they've decided like they need to speak out publicly. They feel like they're not being well represented. Uh, there are reports out there the White House has offered to swap her for a convicted arms dealer, this guy Victor Bout. Basically, they see that Putin's holding Griner as leverage, and the Americans are like, okay, we'll give you a prisoner exchange. In this case, we have this arms dealer who inspired, if anyone's seen uh, The Lord of War, a Nick Cage movie about a gunrunner. It was inspired by this guy, Victor Bout, who's so-called merchant of death. Anyway, we're willing to give Russians the merchant of death back uh, if they give us Griner. There's uh, Bill Richardson, who's a former secretary under Bill Clinton, who does a lot of these things, uh, these prisoner trades with countries like North Korea, Iran, um, and Russia. He's working on it. And when she was talking about other detainees, there's a guy named Paul Whelan, a former U.S. Marine, who's been detained since 2018 and has been as charges in Russia as well. Okay, from NBC News, Ohio police released body cam video and fatal shooting of Jalen Walker. Ohio police released this graphic body camera video and additional details about the shooting of black motorist Jalen Walker, showing the moment, quote, eight officers released a barrage of bullets at Walker as he ran. Those eight officers have been placed on paid administrative leave, which is protocol when there's been a police shooting per NBC Akron officers said that they had tried to stop Walker. He's 25 years old. This happened June 27th. They were trying to stop him on unspecified traffic violations and chased him when he did not pull over. Police said officers, a quote, reported a firearm being discharged from the suspect's vehicle. A handgun and a loaded magazine were found uh, on the driver's seat per police. Right. So they basically we're still waiting on details on exactly why they are pulling him over. His car continued to move. The uh, driver's door is open. Then it closes. And, and all this, like I think it's like 14 different cameras have been released, by the way, with different angles. Jill, um, his car eventually crashes into the police car. He, th during that time, they heard a boom, what they believe was a gunshot from his car. Uh, he then escapes via the passenger car and they begin that foot via chase. Via the passenger there. side, you mean? Sorry, yes, via the passenger's side door um, uh, in the front seat there. And then he runs for it. The police follow. And then you watch that footage. 
Incidentally, the footage all stops right after they begin shooting. Um, and there were several seconds of shooting. You could hear a cop say cease fire at some point, but dozens and dozens and dozens of bullets. Um, an attorney for the family uh, reviewed the body camera video with the family and says, you know, he didn't have anything in his hand. And it turns out he didn't have a weapon on him as they were chasing him. So that is um, where uh, a lot of the questions are coming in as to why the police decided to begin shooting dozens and dozens of bullets at him. Um, at the end of that chase. So we'll continue to kind of see how that story unfolds. From the Associated Press, China sees record rains, heat as weather turns volatile. China is sweltering under the worst heat wave in decades while rainfall hit records in June. Extreme heat also battering Japan and volatile weather causing trouble for other parts of the world. Scientists say this has all of the hallmarks of climate change with even more warming expected this century. Yeah, this is coming out of the headlines that we saw out of Europe in June of the the record heat that was happening there. And then this is from NPR, Jill in Australia. Sydney floods uh, continue. 50,000 Australians are warned to be ready to evacuate. This is just the latest in some of the record flooding that Australia and fires that Australia has been seeing in recent years. Uh, hundreds of homes have been inundated in and around uh, Sydney in a flood emergency. Days of torrential rain. Dams uh, are starting to overflow. And we could be seeing the, I believe this is now the fourth flood emergency in 16 months in the area. Okay, Florida County ordered to quarantine after giant snail invasion. This isn't even funny. I mean, it's bizarre, but it's actually just (laughs) wild here. Parts of Pasco County, Florida are under quarantine after a rapidly growing population of invasive African snails was discovered. So it's believed that they were brought in as some part of the illegal pet trade, but they actually carry this parasite called rat lungworm, which can apparently cause meningitis in in humans. Yeah, this is quite a story, Jill. By the way, Pasco County is just north of Tampa there on the the west coast of Florida. Um, The photos are creepy and frightening. Um, before people get too concerned, though, about quarantine, this is not COVID-style quarantine like stay in your homes, folks. This is quarantine, meaning don't move the snail or related items like plant or soil around the snail um, or in the area they believe are affected by these snails. And by the way, so they're, they're quarantining the snails, basically. I- exactly. The, the snails are quarantined. <laughs> don't touch the snails. Um, two weeks to bend the snail curve. What, what was that in the beginning of COVID? Like it was going to be two weeks to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two weeks or two and a half years, either one. Or two and a half years to bend the curve. Anyway, so in this case, you're quarantining from the snails. You can go about your life. Just like don't get involved in the soil there. Um, these are officially illegal to own, Jill, in case you were interested. But some exotic pet owners keep these things. And apparently they can lay 2,500 eggs a year, which make it really hard to eradicate them. Oy. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh. As, as someone who's pregnant right now, I'm just like thinking about that number. It sounds uh, quite intimidating. Um, the, the images are very, very scary, as is, as we mentioned, the word quarantine. Hopefully this does not leave the county and they get this thing under control. Well, I guess I guess what we know about snails, uh, Jill, they don't move very quick. <laughs> they, they do move slow. <laughs> Isn't that the expression snail space? They're moving at a snail space. <laughs> That is a wrap for this podcast, but a big congratulations to you for a new addition to your family. I will pass along that congrats to my brother, uh, Yoni, and his wife, Emily, who welcomed 
um, little uh, Maya into the world, a born on the 4th of July. So uh, we're very happy to have a, have a, a new member of the family and uh, can't wait to meet my new niece very soon. All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'd love your feedback on how we're doing, your thoughts on what we're covering. Email us at podcast at mo.news. You could also subscribe to our Mo News newsletter at monews.bulletin.com and follow us on Instagram at mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H. And before you leave your podcast app, please make sure to follow the show and leave us a review, especially if you like the show. Uh, we got to keep our, our rating high on Apple and Spotify. And Jill, we have an interview coming up this week and then another edition on Friday. Friday. So we're going to be doing the Motion Jill podcast Friday and Wednesday this week. And then tomorrow we're going to be dropping um, the crypto interview. They'll have an interview tomorrow and then they'll hear from us again on Friday. So jam-packed week. All right, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>